Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Milestone McKinney. So good to see you this morning. And as Alex said, each and every week it's someone's first time. That's a big deal to us. And uh, if this is your first time and I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. So we're continuing in our series, Promises. This is uh, week two. And uh, as Alex said, we've got small groups starting up. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't had an opportunity to jump into a small group or maybe you missed week one, it's okay. Jump in. Some of you, you weren't able to meet. I know some of our groups were meeting on Thursday and Friday, and so you had to take a snow check. Is that a thing? I mean, rain check? I don't know. I just made a word up there, you know. You know, you, you get a do-over. Mulligan. I don't golf, but golf, golf people who golf, you know what that is. Do-over. And, and, and so you may be hopping in. Hop in this week. I'm going to encourage you. I was so encouraged. I heard uh, Andrea's story this week. You know, Andrea, I think she moved here sometime early fallish. I can't remember the exact time. But she was praying about, I'm believing for a, a, uh, a church family somewhere where I can get connected. And uh, she, like many of us, you know, when we need answers, we go to God. And Google. So she Googled and she found milestones. She came. She's gotten connected. She's building relationships. She's, she's taking steps. She got into it. She's in a small group now. Uh, she'll be at 101 after service today. And so it's exciting to hear people. Some of you, you've been a part of milestone small groups for a long time. Some of you, you're just hopping in. And so it's a, it's a little nerve wracking. You're kind of like, well, I know anybody. Well, that's okay. The other people are feeling and thinking the same thing. Okay. But there's something significant that happens when we go on this journey together. So I want to encourage you, take that step, hop into a small group. We want to do anything we can to help you take those steps, and that's why we've got our Promises booth out there. I, I think another thing that's really significant I want to highlight just briefly for a minute is next week we have the first week of our BOTS retreat. This is for our high school students. This is a retreat that we do every year. We do one for high school and for middle school, and I'm just telling you, this is a time where students go away. There's so much intentionality about helping them discover what does God's Word say about relationships, about purity, about all of those things, and can I tell you Hope is not a good strategy when it comes to really any area of life, but especially this area with your kids. And I'm just telling you, getting them into this type of environment, them learning what God's Word says about this, helping them grow, it's going to be a significant time. Be praying for our students that are going, our leaders, some of you are there, you're going as small group leaders, you've taken time off from work. I was talking to a couple earlier, uh, The dad, they've got a young one, the wife is going to be a small group leader, the dad's like, uh, I'm going to be home. And I was like, it's all right, man, just call me if you need help, you know, it's like, he's like, oh, we're going to make this happen, and so just grateful for you your sacrifice and your investment in the next generation. So open up your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 7. Before we get to chapter 10, we've been talking about promises. This idea, this thought, promises is something that we relate to. It's something we understand. It makes sense to us. The biblical word for promises we've talked about is the word covenant. What is covenant? Well, covenant is when an individual, unlike a contract, it's when the stronger party in a covenant says, I want more for you than from you. I'm not here to hold you to something and see what I can get out of the deal. I want to give you something greater that you couldn't actually obtain on your own. And that God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And what does that look like? How does that relate to our lives? And, and we've been talking a lot about promises. And I've shared with you over the last couple of weeks different 
types and levels of promises I've made. And when you think about promise, I also think about, you know, just kind of the compare and contrast, the contrast of promises, which kind of can make promises hard for us because we relate to promises in the context of how people have made promises or not kept promises to us. And so we wonder, is God that way? And he's not that way. He keeps his promises. He does what he says he will do. But when you think about the contrast, I read a couple of things this week that really kind of brought contrast to light. Now, now, if you're kind of, uh, you know, Gen Xer, a little older, a little young, kind of close to, I'm 43, I'll be 44 this year, kind of, Wendy's going to be 45, or like, we were talking about, like, you're going to be 45, boo, you look good now. I mean, it's like, what is happening? So I saw this, and it kind of like, it hit me a little bit, right? So, so when you realize that 1970 and 2022 are the same distance apart, as 1970 and 1918. Exactly. Wow. Okay, now, I'll be honest. I was born in 78, so that doesn't hit quite as much as the next one that I read, which was this. When you realize that 2050, 50, is closer to where we're at now than 1990. Hold up now, 90s, those were good years, man. I graduated in 96, I'm in my prime. You're telling me that 2050 is closer than that? What is happening? All right, that's a, that's, there's a contrast there. You start, or, or think of it this way. Maybe for you, I know we got some younger generation. You're like, do not compute. You know, he's up here, Alex, talking about Walkman. It's not a Walkman, man, I got It's a Discman. There's levels, man. We got we to, gotta like, we got to know. We got to know. There, there is. You know what I'm talking about, Simi. You ever tried running with a Discman? That thing was big. You know, that thing be skipping, then it's like anti-skip. You know, that was like a thing. It's like marketing. He's charging me more, saying, all right, what's happening? Like, so you think about those things. You know, you, you need the right tools. I don't know if you've ever been in a place. You ever tried to do a project and you didn't have the right tools? Let's just say, if you've ever nailed something into the wall with a stapler, that's an example of you don't have the right tools. I was reminded of this yesterday. Wendy had some ladies over to the house, and she happened to walk out the front door, came back in the front door, and things were drying up, you know, ice, snow's melting, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, and so Wendy goes, baby, you need to, you need to shovel off the, the walkway. There's ice all over. It's bad. I was like, man, I was like right in the middle of a workout, and I'm like, well, I guess my workout's changing. I'm going to be shoveling ice. So I get out there, and I, luckily I didn't have, I had like, you know, a uh, uh, you know, flat-headed uh, shovel, whatever you technically call it. I don't even know where I got it. I just happened to have it, you know. And so I'm there, and I'm shoveling. I'm like, this is going to take forever. I kid you not, I'm out there, short sleeve shirt, sweating. It's like 30 degrees outside. I'm so hot. I'm like, this stuff ain't coming up. Did they glue this ice to the ground? What is happening? So I did what any innovative person would do. I have a heater in the garage. It's one of those propane ones, like a blowtorch, you know. So I'm out there. I, I'm, I'm not, I kid you, I'm blowing hot air. I'm just shoving. There's some stuff. It's just on there. I'm taking that heater. I'm like this. And I'm like chipping away. It took me like two hours to get that ice off there. Finally got the ice off. And I'm thinking, there's got to be a better way. One of our friends pulled up and dropped off his wife who was helping out with the party and was telling him what I was doing. And he's from the north, so he's kind of like an old wily veteran. He said, well, did you have salt? No, I didn't have salt. But if you had some, it would have been nice, you know, because salt 
apparently makes it so much easier. Next time, I'm just going to put salt down before it starts, okay? It, you think about that, you know, and you're like, okay, there's a better way. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I, I want to help you see when we look at God's word and you think about the promises of Jesus, that Jesus actually is the better way. In fact, Hebrews chapter 7 That's what it says in Hebrews 7 when we look at verse 22. Here's what it says. As a result, and we'll talk about what that result is in just a minute. Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant. A better covenant. You see, there's a better way, but okay, better than what? What does that look like? So I want to help you understand. Better than what? Jesus, you're like, okay, that makes sense. I translate Jesus is a better way. That makes sense to me. I mean, that's why we're here. We love Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but better than what? So I want to I help you understand, and we're going to look to God's Word. We're actually going to even look in the Old Testament. I want to paint a picture for you on what is the better covenant and what is it better than. You know, when you think about better, that's what we all want. No one wants worse. Everyone wants better. And sometimes we think new is better. New is not always better, but that's how we correlate it, right? So th- there's a book that has, uh, that's been out. It's been out a few years. It's called 100 Things That We Lost to the Internet. Okay, so in the book, there's a couple of things. And a few of those things kind of resonated with me. One of them was one of the things that we lost is phone numbers and addresses. I don't know anybody's phone number. I just put it in my phone and type in their name, and boom. I'll be, I mean, you know what I'm saying? My, we've got a, a, a number for the, for the house. It pops up. Pretty much the whole text thread is just like, you know, images and little bears and hearts and things like this from my little girls. You know, that's all it is. But it's like, I, I don't know their number. Like, if I did not have my phone, I would not know how to get a, get a hold of my children because I don't know what the number is. We don't know. We don't have to know. Here's another thing. Back in the day, you know, when you stood in line waiting to check out your groceries, people actually used to talk to each other. Now, what it is, like, I, I mean, I'm guilty to texting, looking, you know. Here's another, blow your mind, blow your mind. This is next level stuff right here. You go into a library, all the young people in here, when you walked into a library, I want you to know something, young people, when you walked in, there used to be a big wooden box, had a bunch of drawers in it. You'd open up that drawer, and there's a big old lawn. That thing was long. I'm like, how did they get all that in there? You pull it out, and it's all these. If I'm looking for a book that starts with the letter B, I had to go to the card catalog. I had to pull that thing out, and there's all these little things, and I'm flipping through. I'm trying to find that book, and I'd take that out, and I'd give it to the librarian. And she'd go, oh, that's over here, and she'd help me find. Now you don't got to do that. You walk in, and it's like they got computers, and you can go even in stores. You got inventory. Do I want to make the trip to the store? Do they have this in stock where I want to go? We lost all those things. Now, some of you may say, well, that's better. I don't know. Maybe it's better. Maybe it's worse. I don't know. But what I I do want to do is I want to help us understand this better guarantee that we have in Jesus. But before we understand what that looks like for us when it comes to Jesus and when, even when it comes to the New Testament, we have to understand the Old Testament. Now, some people say, well, Pastor Chris, do we really need the Old Testament? I mean, is it kind of like how does it pertain to us and how do I relate to it? And I think what we have to understand is we actually relate to the people of the Old Testament better than we think. You see, the Old Testament is challenging because there's a lot of nuances and there's some challenging stories in there. There's a lot of details and you got to pay attention. 
But the hard part about the New Testament, when we're reading it, oftentimes we're just distracted. We have partial attention. It's kind of like when you're watching your favorite show, the husband and wife, they're watching it together, but they're kind of watching it, and they're also scrolling on their phone. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, did we see this episode already? I don't know. I can't remember, you know, because you have partial attention. And so our attention is divided, and you got to focus, and you got to dive in. But I'm telling you, the Old Testament, we need the Old Testament. Do you want to know why? Because it's in the Old Testament that we see the person of Jesus and how it goes all the way through the Old Testament through the New Testament, and we then see this redemptive moment where Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. It's all filtered through the person of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. And so we have to begin to understand and look and see how does that relate to our life. You see, the Old Testament is so important because it helps us know God. And I don't know about you, but I want to know God more. I want to grow in my relationship with God. In fact, my ability to trust God and to embrace the promises that he has for us and for me is directly related to my ability and the level at which I know him. So if we're all in a place going, well, I want to know God, what I want to do for you over the next few minutes is help you know God on a greater level and encourage and spur you on to know him in a deeper level. Not just in the New Testament, not just in what he did on the cross for you and me when he died for our sins, but throughout God's word, including the Old Testament. So I want us to look at that. I want us to, to look at why this is so important. But, but the, the truth is... It's a little challenging. Here's why. When we think about the Old Testament, you think, well, do I really relate to those people? I mean, those people were on the other side of the world, different time, different culture. But I want you to, I want you to realize we relate to the people of the Old Testament more than we realize. Now, I have a little chart here to kind of help you understand that and connect the dots. Because while culture is different and culture changes, can I tell you what doesn't change? Human behavior. Human behavior is going to be the same regardless of how culture and times may change. Just like it's going to look different in 2050 as it does now, and it does now, it looks different now as it did in 1990 and 1970 and 1918, but human nature has stayed the same. The culture and the context of how it's played out is different. So when you think about, here's a little chart just to help us. When you think about the Old Testament and biblical times, it was an agrarian culture. What does that mean? Ancient man as the agrarian culture. Well, what did they have to do? They, they, they had to depend upon the weather. Okay? And they depended upon the weather to grow crops. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe some of you, you got that green thumb. You grow stuff. Wendy and I, we don't got it. Don't ask us to grow you anything. Okay? It's going to die. We try. We got a little horse trough in the back. We're going to try herbs. We're going to try this. Tomato. It's all dead. It happened before the freeze. I can't blame it on the freeze. They don't, we just can't grow it. I would be in trouble. I'd be, if you knew how to grow stuff, I'd grow stuff, I'd be at your house. Okay? They, they, they're, they're relying on these things. Okay? I don't know if you knew this, but during this time, in fact, because so much was put around the, the emphasis of having to grow things, they actually only ate one meal a day because everything was centered around gathering things, preparing things, and cooking this meal. Different than today. Now it's like, what do I want to eat? What are my macros? How much do I eat? When do I eat at the right time? All these things. You know, we don't, they didn't have that. They, they relied on livestock. They actually used livestock to actually work as well as eat. Nowadays, we have them as pets. I got a pet goat. I got a pet cow. I got pet chicken. Like, no, you ate that stuff. 
You know what I mean? That's what it looked like in that time. And then you were always looking at how do I protect myself from my enemies? How do I guard myself? Now, here's the thing. What happens is we care a lot about these things. Our life is dependent on these things. Their life was dependent upon that. But here's what you quickly realize about these things is you can't control all that stuff. You can't control when an enemy is going to attack or not. They Typically, enemies don't let you know when they're coming. Okay? What's the weather going to be like? What, a freeze out of nowhere? What happened? Snow, heat, drought, whatever it may be. You can't control all of those things. Here's what happens, and here's what would happen to the ancient people when you care so deeply about something, but you can't control it. You would lean into the propensity of religious instinct. Now, what is religious instinct? Psychologists, sociologists, what they say is there's a wiring inside all of us that has a propensity towards a religion. Now, you have met people that say, well, I'm not a religious person. It's not true. Everyone has a religion. Because religion is what you're looking towards for fulfillment, for meaning, for purpose. So religion, for some people, it's different. Everyone has one. It just looks different. For some people, the religion could be their family. It could be their business. It could be their corporation. It could be their financial status. Everyone has a religion. And what begins to happen is we all find ourselves in this place when things don't go the way we wanted. The weather came out of nowhere. Someone attacked. We didn't realize we were going. We always ask, why? Why is this happening to me? We've all been there at some level, at some place. And here's what we begin to do when we find ourselves in that place. We begin to negotiate with God. And that's what the people of ancient times did. They would negotiate. If I do this, God, then you'll give me that. If I look like this and I do these things, you'll give me that. And we try and negotiate. Because we're wanting God to bless us. We're wanting promises. So we're trying to work to earn from God. And so we work, work, work. Strive, strive, strive. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice to try and get something and earn something that we can't earn. Well, well, how does that translate into modern day? Well, here's what it looks like. Nowadays, you've got 24-7 globalization. You know, during ancient times when the sun went down, you know what you did? You went to sleep. That's what I love about backcountry backpacking. You don't have cell service. Can I tell you, you get done hiking, you're, you've eaten, you're kind of wiped off a little bit. You're sitting there, and you're like, well, okay, it's dark out. It's pitch black. You're 15, middle, 15 miles out in the backcountry, middle of nowhere. What do we do? You go to sleep. You're like, man, what time is it? It's 8 o'clock. Nowadays, it's like you just keep going and going. Our attention is so dispersed, and companies know that, so they fight to try and aggregate your attention because if they can get your attention and win, then they can monetize that. So there's globalization all over the place, and we're we're constantly overwhelmed by it. We constantly see it pulling for our attention. You have access on this little device on your phone, and you have all human knowledge right there, Google. You You have access to all creative information, all these things, right? You, you know, you had that friend back in the day before smartphones. It's like, did you ever know? They always knew something about everything. It's like, I this, that, that person, this. You're like, oh, is that really true? Google just blew their life up. I mean, it's like, now you're like, you're lying. Look, I just Googled.
Googled it right there. You know, you don't even know what you're talking about. Man, you know, if you were slick talking wheel deal, you could make it sound like you knew what you're talking about, but you didn't have a smart no one had a smartphone to like verify, you know. It's kinda like Wendy, Wendy will tell me stuff. I'm like, babe, who told you that? She's like, I told myself. I said, that's the problem, because you really believe that. But, like, that is actually not true. What that is? And I'm like, no, baby, no. But, I mean, she's really convincing now. I mean, it's, I'm like, that ain't true. It, it's not true. So you have access, and now you don't have to have livestock or grow crops. Order, call, delivery, transportation, food, access, Amazon. Boom, I've got it. 24 hours, 48-hour delivery, same-day delivery. Boom, I've got access to goods and services. So what happens is we think we're in control because we have this little device in our hand. And we're like, i got access to order things, deliver things, look up things, know things. And so I feel like I'm in control, but we then quickly realize we're not as in control as we think. So we care deeply about this stuff, but we're not in control. So what does that look like for us? Well, we become anxious, worrisome, overwhelmed. I can't control. What do I do? Depressed. And we don't know where to go. So God said, look, I've got a better way. I want to make a covenant with you. I'm the stronger person in this relationship, and I want to give to you. Now, here's what it's going to look like in the Old Testament. So I want to help you because, again, all throughout, we've been learning in this, in this series, throughout God's Word, from Genesis to the end, in Revelation, there is a theme all the way through that God has a promise for you and me. And it's not just solely limited to when Jesus died on the cross in the New Testament. It's all the way through. So what did the covenant look like in the Old Testament? I want to share with you what it looks like. And then we're going to look at what Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10. So in the Old Testament, here's what it looked like. You had a person, an individual, who had sin in their life. And, and they had things going on. And so they would bring something of value. And typically at that time it was livestock. Because livestock had value. And it meant something. And they would bring it. And they would offer it at the altar. They would bring it to the priest to sacrifice. And the priest would sacrifice. One time a year they would go back behind the curtain. And give this offering. For the atonement of the sins of the people. So that these people can have a relationship with a perfect God. That is what the covenant looked like in the Old Testament. Okay? So there was still a covenant. God said, hey, there's a better way. You don't have to strive and live with anxiety and worry and have all these religious things that you're trying to do to get to me. I want a relationship with you. So I'm going to create a scenario where this is what the covenant looks like. Now, why was there a sacrifice? I don't have time to go all into it, but essentially... For the forgiveness of sins, there had to be the atonement and the shedding of blood. That's why there was the sacrifice of an animal. Okay? This is what it looked like in the Old Testament. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here in Hebrews chapter 10. They're here in Hebrews. The, he's, they're writing to a group of people that are persecuted. That, and they're looking, man, okay, what do we take with us? What do we leave behind? What does this look like? How do we have this relationship with Jesus and the writer of Hebrews is tying together the covenant from the Old Testament and the New Testament and helping us see the entirety of this picture. Here's what it says, therefore. Now, when the Bible says, therefore, can I tell you something? It's there for a reason. I mean, that's some deep theological, I mean, that, that's deep theological revelation for you right there. I mean, it's 
Greater than you're actually acknowledging how great that was, you know, in your facial expression. <laughs> Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Previously, blood of Jesus, what would happen? There was a bull, there was an animal, there was sacrifice. Not anymore. We're going in the holy place because of what Jesus did. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain. There it is. There's that curtain. The Bible says that when he died on the cross, the veil, the curtain in the temple was actually physically torn. Miraculously and physically torn. That is, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. We'll talk about that sincere heart in just a minute. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. I love that. He who promised. He's faithful. He is faithful. So our hope is found in Jesus. He's the one that promised it. He's the one that holds it. He's the one who will do it. He's faithful. Next verse, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and goodness. So there's this idea, this thought. We should be encouraging, spurring, challenging one another on to grow in this. To grow in the understanding of this promise. To grow in aggregating this promise. To grow in living out this promise. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So here's what the writer of Hebrews did. You have the Old Testament covenant, right? Now here's the New Testament covenant. You have a person. But he's saying, in this person, this person that wants a relationship with Jesus, this person now doesn't have to go through all of the things when it comes to bulls and sacrifice and priests and curtain. No, no, no. Now you have this person who wants a relationship with Jesus, a person who's looking to grow in the relationship with God, and you have Jesus who now comes in and makes up the difference. You have Jesus that is now the covenant. You have Jesus that now comes in, and Jesus is the one that comes and bridges the gap. Jesus is now the offering. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is our righteousness. And because of that, we can now have a relationship with a perfect God. So you have a person who wants a relationship with God. You have what Jesus did on the cross. And now you have a perfect God who we can have a relationship with. Now I want to help us understand, what does that mean? He's our righteousness. Well, righteousness is a legal standing that's placed on a defendant that's being charged with something. Can I tell you, you're being charged with something. The Bible says, the accuser of the brethren. You have an accuser who's charging you, trying to overwhelm you. You did this. What you did is who you are. You'll never get past that. Just waiting for judgment, judgment, judgment. But here's what this is saying. When you receive the righteousness of God through faith in your relationship with Jesus then it's Jesus' perfect righteousness that's put on you. God doesn't look and see. We don't have to worry. You ever, you ever been around those people that are like, I've, I talk to people all the time, Pastor Chris, I can't come to your church. If I walk in there, it's probably going to catch on fire. It's going to burn down. I mean, if you knew what I did, if you knew how I lit. Look, if you knew how I, I was a rolling dumpster fire, my brother. I mean, they're like, look, if it didn't catch on fire when I walked in, you're going to be all right, Okay. Now, you got to leave your cigarette 
outside, you know, because you may accidentally catch something on fire, but it's okay. So I just puff, puff, put it out, and let's go, you know. It's all good. Uh, We think, what happens if that judgment comes? We're just waiting for that judgment to come down. So how do we live? We live trying to earn and work for righteousness. You know what the Bible calls that? Self-righteousness. I'm self-righteous, so I'm trying to earn it. I'm trying to do all the right things, because if I don't say the right things and do the right things and look the right way, it's just a matter of time before that judgment of God, boom, he's just waiting to light me up. I knew it, just lightning bolt, bam. No. There's a righteousness that we have, righteousness that we have access to because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. I don't have to live with self-righteousness to try and obtain things. Can I tell you what happens when we live self-righteous? We become frustrated, angry. No one wants to be around us. It's like, man, because we're trying to strive something to gain that we can't obtain. Jesus already did it. He already did it. And I'm telling you, I've experienced this in my own life. Look, you can love Jesus. Can I tell you something? They're they're well-meaning, God-fearing, Christ-loving, Bible-reading, praying Christians that don't understand the fullness of this and don't live it out. And it's very subtle. And in fact, you can recognize it in waves and in moments of your life. There was a season in my life serving the Lord, being in ministry, that I realized, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not fully embracing this. Not because God doesn't want to give it, I'm not receiving it. I have access to a promise here that I'm not accessing. I'm not receiving it. And what I began to realize is in my relationship with God, I related to God as a boss, not as a father. I got to perform. I got to execute. I got to hit my KPIs. I got to preach real good. I got to get people to say, and all these, and if I don't do all that stuff, then God's not pleased. I'm doing something wrong. What is, why is this happening? Okay, then I'm going to work harder, work harder. I'm going to try and obtain. I can't obtain that righteousness. Jesus already gave it. Because when I operate that way, that's self-righteousness. It's not found in me. It's found in Jesus. We don't have to earn it. We're not entitled to it. So, so. What do I want you to get? Here's what we have to understand. That when we realize this, that that when we care deeply about something and we can't control it, we will either shut down with anxiety and depression or we will earn it or at least attempt to earn it in our own strength. That's what happens. I care deeply about something. I'm not in control. So I'm overwhelmed. I shut down. I'm anxious and I'm worried. Or... Maybe if I just work harder, work harder. One, we're going to fall into one of these two. I told you, I, I tend to fall into I'm trying to do it in my own strength. It doesn't go well for you. It won't work because you can't obtain it because he already did it. See, here's what I want us to get. When we realize this understanding and this aspect of God's promise, and here's what we begin to realize, that God is saying, listen, I have a better way. Jesus is the promise of a better covenant. Jesus is that promise. He is the promise of a better way. You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. You can't work so hard. You're not entitled. You're not entitled to the promises of God. Wow, Pastor Chris, that's a, you're going to read that in your guide this week if you haven't already. Man, help me. Jared, our team captain for, for our serve team this morning, was sharing that. It was powerful. He was saying, oh, man, I thought about that, and then the Lord spoke to me. It's not that. It's that I can't earn it. 
You see, when, when I think I'm entitled to something, I think what, that I've earned it. Whether I've earned it to work it, to work to get it, or whether I'm entitled and I've earned it because of who I am, and I just should get that. We're not entitled to that. What happens is we receive it because of what Jesus did on the cross. I cannot earn the promises of God. I can't. And for some of you, this is where the tension comes in. Because you think what many Western Christians and Americans think. I'm a good person. It's good you're a good person. I'm grateful. I like that you're good. And I like that you're nice. I like talking to you. And you like talking to me. But the thing I'm looking for, the thing that I need, the thing that you need, is the righteousness of Jesus that he freely gives. And the promise is found in him. So what do I get? What makes the promises and the covenant of Jesus better? What makes it better? Well, here's, what, here's the first thing. I'm going to give you some practical things in the next few minutes, and I'm going to pray for you very quickly. Because they're, 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 they're simple but not easy, right? I'm not going to share something that's like, wow, you're so, that's so profound. But it's not easy to live out. Here's the first thing. Here's what makes Jesus' promise, the promise of Jesus better, is we can be in God's presence. We can be in God's presence. Back in the Old Testament, there was only one high priest, the Old Covenant, one high priest, just me. I was the only one that could go into God's presence on all our behalf and offer a sacrifice. No more. You can go right into God's presence. You can hear God's voice. You can spend time with him. You can cultivate that. In fact, when you continue to read Hebrews 10.10, it says we have been made holy through the sacrifice in Jesus once and for all. You see, we can't earn it. It's a gift of, because of what Jesus did. What does it produce in our life? Well, we read it in Hebrews. Sincere hearts. Sincere hearts. We've all been around people that are sincere. And we've been around people that are kind of, they feel a little fake. Feel a little self-righteous. Like they're trying to put on a facade. But you recognize when someone's sincere, when someone's genuine. You see, the only way to gain a sincere heart is through the righteousness that comes from Jesus. And life lived in him. Self-righteousness will only produce in you a longing and a desire to prove yourself. But when you embrace the righteousness of Jesus, you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to be perfect. You come in, all the mistakes, all the hurts, all the insecurities, and God loves you, and he sees you, and he works in and through you, and you grow in a relationship with him, and you don't have to have me on a podcast or faithful and the worship CD, although you can stream it, and it'll help, and it's awesome, and we love it. You don't need all of those things. You don't need Katie and the team to be there, to be in God's presence. You can have it on your drive home this afternoon. You can have it when you get up in the morning and you got that coffee and it's quiet and the sun's coming up. It's just you and the Lord. You can have it. We have access to that because of Jesus. And then here's the second thing that we have. We have a, a, a position to now be in a place that the closer we get to God, the more our trust in him grows. Think about it. Do you have a history with God? You do. You just may not realize it. Truth is you can build a history with God. You look back and you see his faithfulness. He's been faithful. And, you know, I love what Katie shared. With, with those individuals or those praise reports, 
They're going to look back and go, God was faithful with me then. He's going to be faithful for me again. And as she said, let it build your faith and your confidence to know that God is faithful. And what happens is I can now trust him and I can build on that. And my confidence is not in my intellectual knowledge. That's where we get hung up. We buy into the lie that you have to be some theological, massive theologian, know this book inside and out to even begin a relationship with Jesus. You don't. You see, when you come into embracing the promise of Jesus, you have a relational confidence, not an intellectual confidence. That's where we hedge. Should you know God's word? Should you dig deeper? Yes. Should you learn? Should you grow? Yes. It's why we do what we do. It's why we give you the guide. As we like to say it, let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Let's unpack it. Because we recognize just when we even look in our own lives, much less working and walking with people, many people hedge on diving into God's word and fully understanding it, not because they don't like God, love God, or want to know God. They're going, I really just don't know. Help me understand it. And so we want to help. So there's a relational confidence. Because you look and say, God is working and moving. And you may say, Pastor Chris, well, does God always work the way you want him to? No. In fact, many times God doesn't do, I mean, a lot of times I'm like, God, there's a different way. I mean, let's have a conversation. This could look a lot different. Probably should have looked a lot different. But God knows. He's working. He's moving. And I look back and I build a trust in him knowing as I look back and see, I've got a relationship with Jesus. He's been with me. He's for me. He's been faithful. Doesn't mean we haven't experienced difficulty in our life. Doesn't mean that there haven't been consequences for choices that we've made. Doesn't mean that things just were easy. They were hard. Doesn't mean things didn't, people didn't do things to you. It was just not okay. And that you've had to exercise forgiveness towards them. But you can build trust in him. And that trust can grow because of Jesus. And then the last thing is this. It encourages us to gather with others. You see, when we're self-righteous, the whole world, the way we see the whole world, it relates to me. How do, how, how do I want it to be? What does it need to look like? And if any of you know anybody, if you've ever even walked through that season, it doesn't end well. It doesn't go well for you. But when you look back and you read what the writer of Hebrews says, what does he say? He says, look. Don't stop gathering together. Don't give up meeting together. Don't give up encouraging one another. You see, in the middle of your insecurity, in the middle, what begins to happen is when I know who I am in Christ, and I know what Jesus did on the cross for me, and that my righteousness is not dictated by my perfection or my trying to earn it and obtain it, but it's found in what Jesus did on the cross for me, I get my eyes off myself, and I start going, I may feel a little insecure. I may feel a little inadequate, but I'm going to encourage this other person because if they if I do that they may grow in their relationship with God and begin to experience what I've experienced I love the story of Chris and Janelle Buck Chris and Janelle have been part of the milestone family for a little bit and a, and a year or so ago we talked to them about them leading a small group and they were nervous about it and they're like I don't know I mean are we qualified do we what do we say do we know the right thing to say what do we do I don't I don't know but they did it. They stepped out in faith, even though they felt like, I don't know, am I, am I the right person? And because they did, they invited a couple 
Max and April Brownlee, this couple right here in the middle. Max and April, very successful in their profession, growing, leading. And their profession is very busy and very demanding. Uh, Max is actually a, a, a pilot. And so you want to talk about travel and always gone. They said, even though my schedule is demanding, I'm going to carve out time. We're going to be a part of this. And they were nervous about it. And I had been talking to Max probably for about a year about getting a small group. He's like, we want to get connected, getting a small group. Get it. So I just keep dripping on folks. You just keep encouraging. That's just a side note for those of you who are like, I talked to them about it. They just never did it. Don't give up, man. Just keep, just keep watering. Keep watering. Just drip on them. Just love on them, okay? So they finally go. So they, they stepped out in faith. They go. Max tells me, him and April, they walk up. They drove all the way across town. They knock on the door. And, like, literally no one answered the door. It was, and he was like, honestly, it was only like five or maybe ten seconds. But he's like, no one answered the door. So we looked at each other. We're like, well, okay, we tried. <laughs> and they were going to leave. They were about to just leave. And Chris opened the door and said, Max, April, y'all come on in. They came in. Loved it all semester long. All I heard about was the relationships they built. They love it. They kept. They loved it so much. They invited April's sister and her brother-in-law to come. They jumped in a small group. They got in. They got connected. This picture right here is of the small group last week. Max and April going. When small groups start up again, we can't wait to get back in. Why? Because Chris and Janelle said, "I'm not going to be just focused on me." I'm be willing to step out in faith, even though I may not know it all, and just open my home so that other people can experience what I've experienced. And because of that, Max and April experienced that. And then Max and April invited their sister and brother-in-law, and now they're experiencing that. That's what happens when we experience the promise of Jesus. See, here's what we want for you. We want for you to grow in your relationship and understanding of God's word. We want you to grow in your confidence in growing. And that you can grow in your relationship with God. And we want you to grow with others.